Thank you. If you would, would you take your Bibles with me and turn to Psalm 89 this morning. Psalm 89. I want to open up the Word of God and show us today the love, the steadfast love of God and His faithfulness to us. When I first came here to this church, one of the first things I told you guys was, I am terrible when it comes to special topical sermons, right? I, I mean, I can do good on Easter, uh, Palm Sunday I can get in there, but with Mother's Day and Father's Day, like I end up talking about sin, right? And so I'm sorry if you came here this morning hoping for the great Mother's Day sermon I can't help you. All I can do this morning is bring to you the good news that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That while we were sinners, God still loved us enough that he would send his own son for us. Now, I don't know about you, but I needed Jesus to show up. <laughs> Some of you might be kind of holy, but the rest of us are broken sinners. And, and I don't have to look in the mirror long to see that I still carry around me the, the remnants of that old man. But in the end, I'm so glad that God didn't leave me in my sin, but instead, by his gracious hand, provided his son. And that's one of the reasons why the psalmist sings out in Psalm 89. He sings out about the steadfast love of God, the faithfulness of God, and in that, God's promises that he is going to make for himself a king and a kingdom, a people just for him. And in Christ, we can be part of that kingdom. Amen? In Christ, you can be part of that kingdom. And it's simply because of God's goodness. So I want to read this to you, Psalm 89. We're only going to read the first four verses because this has 52 verses in it. Now, before you get scared, we're not going to tackle each verse individually, but what I'm going to show you are seven main keys I think that we get from this psalm. Psalm 89, I'm going to read the first four verses. If you are physically able, I would ask for you to stand with me this morning out of honor for God's word as we read it, and then I'll let you sit down for just a few minutes. Psalm 89, starting in verse 1, here is what the psalmist says. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Would you pray with me? God, I ask that as we study your word this morning, you would help us to understand it. God, I pray you'll show us that we are sinners in need of forgiveness. And God, that your son, Jesus Christ, is the one who bore on the cross our sin debt so that we might be forgiven and we might be brought into your people and into your kingdom under the loving rule of Jesus, our king. So God, I pray you'll show us again our desperate need for you. God, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning who's relying on their good activity or their obedience to somehow earn 
salvation for them, that they might earn their way into heaven this morning. God, I pray that you might show them that is a futile exercise. But God, rather than trying to earn our way by our own efforts, you call us to simply fall and to repent and to confess our trust in you. So God, I pray that you will help us this morning to see it's not about our work, it's about the work of Christ and his definitive, all-sufficient death on the cross. And Lord, we give you praise today because you are not a dead king, but you are alive this morning because you rose from the dead. And so as we look at this psalm this morning, I pray, Lord Jesus, you'll remind us that you are working right now on our behalf. You are interceding for us as we pray. And so may you alone, may you get all honor and praise and glory from what happens here this morning. Use your word, God, to work in the hearts of your people. Use it to root out sin, use it to stir up joy and love in you. And God, may we give you all the praise and we ask it all in Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen. amen. You can be seated for just a moment. Seven points, that's all I have. Aren't you lucky? Point number one is what we just read. Point number one, and you need to take notes because you're going to forget most of what I say. So you need to write this down somewhere, grab a piece of paper, jot it down, grab your cell phone, Put it in there in your notes section. But I want you to write these down so you'll remember them. Number one, in this psalm, Psalm 89, we see the praise that God deserves for his steadfast love and faithfulness. Notice what the psalmist started out saying. Verse one is a summary of the entire psalm. He says, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. Just so you know, in God's word, he's constantly putting steadfast love and faithfulness together. They go together. They can't be separated out from one another. God's steadfast love is related to and essential to his faithfulness. And I don't know about you, but I'm happy about that because there's not many people in this world who steadfast love Jason. There's not many people in this world who are steadfast faithful to Jason. And I know that I don't reciprocate that perfectly either. I don't steadfastly love as I should. I'm not as faithful as I should be. And so I'm grateful for a God who is. I hope you're thankful for a God who doesn't cut you loose, doesn't wash his hands of you, doesn't look on one sin in your life and go, I'm done with you. But I'm thankful for a God who looks upon us for who we are. And even though we are marked by sin and brokenness, guess what he does? He steadfastly loves us. He doesn't stop. He doesn't give up. He doesn't hold back. God is a God who... steadfastly loves. If everyone else around you turns their back on you, guess who won't? The steadfast love of God. And his steadfast love is tied to his faithfulness. He's faithful in ways that we can never imagine, in ways that we gloss over, in ways we don't even see clearly. God is faithful. And you can see it when you look back over your life. You see all the things God has carried you through, all the things he's walked you through, and you can't help but look back and go, man, God has been Faithful to me. And he does that while we're sinners. Imagine the steadfast love and the faithfulness of God that he has towards his children. Those whom he's rescued. Those whom he has made his own. 
That's a good God. And so the psalmist starts out, breaks out and says, I will sing. When's the last time you sang, right? I'm not talking about in the shower to like Justin Bieber. I'm talking about like, when's the last time you sang about the goodness of God? You know what I'm talking about? When's the last time you sang about the fact that God has been so good? I'm not saying you got to do that out loud, but maybe just to yourself. God has been so good, right? When's the last time you sang, right? A song was stirred up in your heart. Well, that only comes from one who's been rescued by Jesus. David, David talks about the fact that he needs God to, to stir up a song, renew the song of his salvation, right? I mean, the only reason we have to sing is because we used to be lost, but now we've been found. We used to be dead, but now we're alive. And, and I'm telling you what, when you've been taken from death to life, when you've been given spiritual life by God, I'm telling you what, there is nothing to do but to sing. Sing that this life isn't all there is, but God has saved you for a great purpose to live now with eternity in, in sight. So he says, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. And I'm telling you what, this steadfast love of the Lord is something that God talks about in his word constantly. You can go all the way back to Exodus chapter 34, Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, which, by the way, verse 6 and 7 of Exodus 34 are some of the most important verses in the Old Testament before Jesus shows up. Exodus 34, 6 and 7. You need to write that down. Exodus 34, 6 and 7 and circle it on your page. Oh, great. Now look what you made me do. Pretend you didn't see that. Oh, now they're out of order. All right, so Psalm 89 is going to be preached in some order today. We're not sure which one. Oh, there it is. Okay, I'm back. I'm back. Exodus 34. Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7 are the two most important verses in the Old Testament before Jesus shows up. So you should probably underline them and read them. You ready for it? You ready to hear this? Oh, it's good. Exodus 34, verse 6. The Lord passed before him, meaning Moses, and proclaimed, here it is, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in what? steadfast love and faithfulness. These are the, this is the verse in the Old Testament that tells us how generous God is from the beginning. Just so you know, Old Testament God is not some angry ogre and the New Testament God is the loving, let's all have a bro hug. Old Testament God is the same as New Testament God because they both steadfastly love people. And they both are faithful, right? Because there's not two, there's one. He is the creator God. And his steadfast love has been there from the very, very beginning of everything. And here, God himself says, here's who I am. A God merciful and gracious. Anybody in here need mercy? Anybody in here need grace? Okay, he, he's, he's slow to anger. Anybody need God to be slow to be angry with them? Uh, yeah. Abounding in steadfast love. Anyone need someone, anybody in this room need God to stick with them through their stuff? Amen. To still love them even in the midst of all their brokenness. Anyone in here need that? Abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Oh, that's the God that the psalmist says leads into song. 
And the psalmist says, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. I think he's got Exodus 34, verse 6 on his brain. And he's celebrating the fact that God has been so good. He said, with my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. I want you to notice how many times forever, all generations, forever, how many times those words are used. Because it means that God doesn't run out of doing these things. God doesn't run out of steadfast love. He doesn't run out of faithfulness. He doesn't run out of being slow to anger. He doesn't run out of mercy. God has all those things, and he promises to do them forever to all generations. Well, that's good news, because if it was only for the people who were reading this first, we'd be left out. But the fact that God has steadfast love to all generations, we're the all generations that came afterwards. And there's still more to come, right? Right? Your babies and your grandbabies and your great-grandbabies. God says his steadfast love, his faithfulness. The psalmist says, I will sing of them. I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. Your steadfast love will be built up forever. Notice God has a much bigger timeline than we do. We tend to think God is good for just a few hours or for a few days or for a few months or maybe even for a few years or maybe until this life is over. You know what? God has a much bigger time frame in mind. His plan is for eternity, and that matters. But I want you to notice the psalmist sings of his steadfast love, and this is because of his covenant-keeping faithfulness. God enters into a covenant with his people. He says that in verse 3. He says, you've said, I made, I've made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. So God here is promising a king and a kingdom. Forever. Now, just so you know, a lot of the kings and rulers we know in this world, you don't want to spend forever with them. You, you know what I'm talking about? You'd rather they just kind of move on. This king that God promises, this kingdom God promises is for all generations. God is promising a king and a kingdom that goes beyond just any earthly ruler. Well, guess what? Here we see the name of David listed, right? The greatest king of Israel. The one whom God raised up himself and put in place as king. But there was always a promise to David that his king and his kingdom would last beyond his own life. And then the New Testament writers tell us what? That Jesus is of the line of David. He is the king and he brings the kingdom for all generations. You know why the psalmist is singing right now? You know why he's singing? Because God's steadfast love and his faithfulness is seen in the fact that even while all of God's people were turning their back on God, running away from him, rebelling against him, guess what? He said, I'm still your God, and I'm providing a king and a kingdom for all time for you. That's good news because that's what we desperately need in this world. Number two, okay, so don't get scared. Number one was the longest one. Number two, we see God's wonders and his might starting in verse five. I'm telling you, you just read through this and it's the psalmist just going, look how good God is, look how good God is, look how good God is. You ready for it? He says, let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness. There's the word faithfulness again. In the assembly of the holy ones. For, he says, here's the basis for praise, right? Here it is. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? What's the answer to that? No one. Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? What's the answer? No one. 
right? A God greatly to be feared in the council of the holy ones. That's talking about the angelic beings. And awesome above all who are around him. Oh, oh Lord God of hosts. That means of all of the heavenly beings. So guess where God ranks when it comes to all of creation? He's above it all. Even the heavenly beings, even the angels are nothing compared to God. He is the greatest. Who is mighty as you are, the psalmist says, O Lord, with your faithfulness. Again, there's that word, all around you. You rule the raging sea. When its waves rise, you still them. You crushed Rahab like a carcass. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours. The earth is also yours. The world, all that is in it, guess who's in the world? Guess who God is mighty over? The earth and all who are in it. So unless you can get to Mars... Well, by the way, he created Mars, too, so you're in on that, too. The north, the south, what's in between? That's everything, right? North, south, you've created them. Tabor to Hermon, those are two big mountains back in their day. Joyously praise your name. You have a mighty arm, strong as your hand, high your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness, there they are again together. He says they go before you. That's the psalmist just saying, God is big, God is big, God is big, he's good, he's awesome, he's great, he's mighty, he's powerful, he's the greatest. So guess what? You know what, you know what motivates your praise of God or what should? He's awesome, he's awesome, he's great, he's mighty, he's strong, he created everything, he's over it all, there's nobody greater than him. But just so you know, you can sing that even when you're having a terrible day. Because if he's your God, he's mighty, he's awesome, he's wonderful, he's powerful, there's no one greater than him, there's no circumstance greater than him, he is the greatest. Somebody's got to say him into that. At some point, you have to be excited about the fact that God is greater than you are. And he's greater than all the circumstances you'll face. He's greater than all the tragedies you ever walk through. He is great. You want to know why? Because of his steadfast love and his faithfulness that he has shown through the promises he's made to give the people a king and a kingdom. His wonders, his might. Number three, we see the path of joy. You want to know how to be happy? Anybody in here want to know where joy is found? Anybody looking for joy? No, you're all not. You're satisfied. You're cool. Come on now. Stop it. Everyone in here wants joy. You look for it every day. You go out looking for it. I'm going to find me some happiness at some point. Maybe it's if I go on this trip or if I buy that car or if I get here, if I get that job or if I have this, then I'll finally have joy and happiness. You know what? God actually tells us where joy is. Says right here in verse 15, blessed, that's a word that means joyful, means happy. Happy are the people who know the festal shout, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face, who exult in your name all the day and in your righteousness are exalted. You want to know how to be happy? Walk with God and exalt his name. Then you'll have joy. Because a car can't do that for you. Uh, A boyfriend can't do that for you. Uh, a big screen TV while they're awesome cannot do that for you. Real joy and happiness comes, according to the Bible, real joy and happiness comes from those who know the, the celebratory shout of worship to God and who walk in the light of God's face right before him. That walk, live life before God, saying, we believe you're God, we believe that you're awesome, and we're going to walk in such a way as to show you that we love you more than anything else. That's where joy is. <laughs> That's where you're welcome. I could have charged y'all $5.99 for that. There's preachers on TV asking a whole lot more than that. I just gave you the secret of joy, and I didn't even charge you. 
You're welcome. I do take gift cards if you want those. But blessing is knowing God, walking in light of his face, right? Moving from progressive, moving progressively from sin to holiness and exalting God's name all the day and, exalt, and being exalted in God's righteousness. That only comes if you're saved. You can't wake up one day and go, you know what, I think I'm going to do verse 15. This comes from the rescue of God. This comes from the good news that Christ died for us. Because Jesus took our place, guess what? We can know the, the joy of worshiping God. We can walk. We can live in holiness because of what Jesus has done. We can live in holiness before God. We can, we can praise his name in everything we do. We can show that God is greater than anything else. And we can be exalted in righteousness because God has died in our place. Because here's what Jesus did on the cross. You ready for this? This is the picture. This is what Jesus did on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, what he was doing in a picture is, let's say you had a coat. You had a, you had a jacket on. It's a really nice jacket, right? You paid a lot of money for it. It's really sweet. It's like one of them really nice white jackets, right? Just get. And every time we sin, it's like, putting a marker or some paint on it or refuse and because of our sin we have the, we have these jackets but they are marked and they are dirty and they are filthy they're covered in garbage that's what we have on it that's our jacket and Jesus is standing next to us but Jesus is, he, he's got a jacket on and his doesn't have any markings on it Right? Because he's perfect. So he doesn't have any stains or anything on it. His jacket is pure. It's white. It's gleaming. And see, he can, he can be in righteousness because he is righteous. Because you know, God can't allow sin in his presence. And so, so we can't get to him because we're marked. We, we're covered in garbage. What Jesus does, this is what the cross is. This is what Jesus does on the cross. Jesus takes your jacket off of you, marked in its filth and garbage, stained by sin. He takes off your jacket. He takes off his jacket. He puts his clean, white, sinless perfection. He puts it on you. And then on the cross, he takes your garbage-filled jacket, your stain, covered in dung jacket, and he puts it on himself. On the cross, we get a picture of God taking our filth, our sin, our brokenness, and he's putting righteousness on us. And because he did that, guess what? We can be with God. Because a God who can't have sin in his presence, all he sees is the clean jacket of Jesus. He don't see our sin anymore. Oh, I don't know about you, but I need that. Because I got a terrible jacket. I'm not going to bring it up. I'm not going to show it to you. But my jacket was sinful. It was stained. But Jesus gave me his righteousness. And that's why we need Christ. That's why no one else will do. Because he's the only one who died on the cross to give us righteousness, to clothe us. So God, when we trust in Jesus and we're saved, God treats us as if we've never sinned a day in our lives. Anybody else want that? 
and Jesus is treated on the cross as if he had committed every sin that ever will be committed. Every sin even thought of, Jesus bore it. Now you know why the psalmist is singing, right? Because that's the good news of the fact that we have righteousness and blessed is the man who walks after those things. That's real joy that a car and a house and money can't get you. That's the joy and happiness of knowing that there is a God and he has forgiven us of our brokenness. And now we can be with him. Not just for today, but forever. You'll get that later on. You'll be like at lunch going, amen. Got that one. (laughs) Number four. We see God's faithfulness in Christ, right? What we just talked about. For our shield belongs to him, he says in verse 18. Our king to the Holy One of Israel. Of old you spoke in a vision to your godly one and said, I have granted help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David my servant with my holy oil. I have anointed him so that my hand shall be established with him. My arm shall also strengthen him. So here, the psalmist says, God has been faithful to us, and you see it in the fact that he gave a king in David. But again, he's not just pointing to David. He's pointing to the fact that there's coming one after David whose reign is going to go on forever. That's Jesus. And so the good news is God is faithful to us in Christ. And we're told that the enemy shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. Hard to see when Jesus is on the cross. It looks like evil, evil's winning. Looks like Jesus is being struck down. It looks like he is being crushed. But guess what? Jesus is ultimately victorious. And he rises from the grave. And he is found to be conquering his foes. He is found to be faithful and steadfast. And he is the king that everyone has been waiting for. And that's only by the good hand of God. And notice what he says in verse 26. He shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. Did you know that nowhere in the Bible do we see any of the patriarchs or the prophets referring to God as their father? We don't see that David called God his father. But here it says that this king shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, and my salvation. Now, after Jesus comes, he calls God his father. And then guess what? After Jesus dies and rises again from the grave, guess what? We find Christians calling God what? Father. Why? Because Jesus came, and he died, and he rose again so that we could be with God, and he would be our father, and we would be his children. That's only through Christ. That's a relationship only Jesus had, and he blesses us with that. And so we see God's faithfulness in Christ. We're told in verse 29 that God will establish his offspring forever. Again, this is going beyond any earthly king. This is talking about the king of kings, Jesus. Number five, we see God's justice and love towards the unfaithful. In verse 30 through 37, we see what what we deserve as human beings because of our sin He says, if his children forsake my law and do not walk according to my rules, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes, but I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. I will not lie to David, he says. Here's God who says, I've entered into a covenant with you that you'll be my people and I'll be your God, but the problem is all the people strayed from him They rebelled and they ran after their own way. They went astray. And so what would we expect God to do? 
cut them loose. I tried. You failed. I'm moving on. But God doesn't do that because he won't lie to David. He said, David, I'm going to give you a throne and a people that's going to last beyond your years for all generations. And God's not a liar. So, but he's going to take his people out. He's going to take them into captivity with the promise that he's going to bring them back in. So even through the tough judgment of God, guess what God hasn't done? Cut his people loose. They're still his people. And that's because he's a faithful God who has steadfast love towards you and I. And just so you know, number six, there is plenty of unfaithfulness among us. I went through and I started marking with brackets in red right here all the things that mark humanity. All that is red, red. You see those verses? All that red is our sin. God says, I'm not going to be a liar. He says, I'm not going to lie. I'm, you're my people. And yet, guess what? We are still marked by extreme, what? Sin and brokenness. And I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for a God who doesn't look on those things and say, I'm done with you. But even though this marks us, even though he looks and he sees that we're broken people, guess what he does? He rescues. That is good news today, folks. I'm telling you. And your sweet mama can't just, she can't make that up for you. You know what I'm talking about? Your sweet grandma, she can't make that up for you. Only Jesus does that. Only Jesus is the one who rescues us from the depths of our sin. And he takes all of this red and he cleanses it by his own blood. That picture of red is replaced by the picture of Jesus' blood spilled out for us. He covers all our sin. So here's the last petition of the psalmist. Ready? Here's the last petition. Number seven, the righteous petition. He says, how long, O Lord, will you hide your face forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is, he says. For what vanity you have created all the children of man? What man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? What's the answer to those questions? None. None can deliver themselves. None can live past death. Lord, where is your steadfast love of old, which by your faithfulness you swore to David? Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked and how I bear in my heart the insults of the many nations with which your enemies mock, O Lord, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Listen, we still see the psalmist who trusts God, believes there's a God, is confessing that he is his Lord, and yet the psalmist says, I'm struggling right now, God. I'm in the middle of some tragedy, and I need to know when are you going to show up? Are you still faithful, God? Remember, he started out singing, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. So guess what the psalmist says? Even though he's in the midst of all this tragedy, even though he's in the midst of all this brokenness, guess what the psalmist is still doing? Singing to God for his steadfast love and his faithfulness to him. I don't know about you. That's good news. Because the tragedies we face as God's children, they're not the end. They are not supreme. The God who is above all creation. He is the one who is supreme. And his steadfast love and his faithfulness will never run out. So today what we need is not to try harder, right? The message I want to leave you with is don't try to do better because none of that will get us any closer to God. Today what I want you to see is Jesus on the cross for you. 
the mangled body of Jesus on the cross is a picture of our sin. It's what we did. And Jesus took our place. So God's not asking you to do hard, no, try harder and do better. What God's telling us to do is repent and trust in the sacrifice of Jesus for our forgiveness. Because that's enough. That's enough to save us from all of our sin. And the psalm says, because he's been redeemed, he sings of the steadfast love of God and his faithfulness. There is joy found in living for God after he has rescued us from the depths of our sin and forgiven us. There is great joy and happiness in the Lord. So this morning, I want all of us to see whether it's for the first time or for the thousandth time, God is great. His steadfast love and his faithfulness are amazing, and he loves you even in the midst of your sin. And he says, if you ever need to know whether I love you, Romans 5, 8, in that while we were yet sinners, right? God demonstrated his love for us. In that, while we were yet sinners, Christ died. Jesus didn't die on the cross after you got your life put together. Jesus didn't die on the cross after you kicked the habit. Jesus died on the cross before all of that took place. And all he does is beckon us to come and to trust in him. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray that this psalm shows us your goodness your steadfast love, your, your faithfulness to us. And Lord, I pray that for, for us as your people, it would stir up in us a song to sing, knowing that we have been forgiven of sin and we have been cleansed from all unrighteousness. And because of that, we can have ultimate joy with you in this life. But God, we are so prone as human beings to try and earn our way to heaven, try to earn your forgiveness. And God, I'm grateful that your word tells us we can never earn it. You give it freely through your son. And so God, I pray what you'll help us do this morning is not trust in our own efforts, but trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And Lord, as Christians, we still need to trust in you. So God, I pray the hearts of the people in this room God, that you might show them that they are desperate sinners in need of an all-sufficient Savior, and that in Jesus, you have given us all we need. So Lord, show us how desperately we need you, and receive glory as you rescue your people for your own name. Oh Lord, I pray that you'll move in this place. God, maybe it's to rescue people for the first time. Maybe it's just to see Christians follow after you in a deeper devotion to you. Maybe it's just us bowing down before you, asking you to forgive us once again. Lord, I pray what we'll find today is not just our guilt, but God, what we'll find today is the unbelievable forgiveness that comes from your hand. Help us, God, to celebrate who you are and to give you the praise you deserve. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.